It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Isn't this a wonderful day? Just a magnificent day on this um, April 23rd, 2018. Just gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline in the house, enjoying the air condition. But uh, to be honest, I've been out enjoying vitamin D for the last three or four hours and just amazed at how good God is to us. I know, I know I say it all the time, but it just bears uh, repeating. God is good to his people, particularly those of us in California. So how are you doing on this Monday edition of Lifeline? Hope you're well. Hope your worship was well. I hope your thoughts are centered. I hope that your vision is clear. I hope that you're hungry for um, real conversation. Um, the number to reach me is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine is uh, where we can talk. Told you we're going to take advantage of our constitutional right to freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom to bear arms uh, in order that we might live this gospel thing out to the highest possible degree. Again, I am honored to be with you, just honored to be with you and um, looking forward to your your questions, looking forward to uh, to to observations that may be relevant to the advancement of um, our soul's edification in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. I, I really I really hope that that's the case with you. I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I am just so enamored with the father and with his son and with his spirit, just utterly amazed at the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. They are so past finding out, so past finding out. was meditating just a couple hours ago as I was preparing for the class on a fundamental reality about era and heresy, and that is era. Heresy never, ever really brings anything to the table. That's the nature of darkness. It's vacuous. It always strives to take things away from you. So when you are... Um, being confronted with falsehood and false doctrine and false teaching and error. Um, understand that the way it feels when it gets a hold of you is uh, it feels fraudulent. It feels like something's being taken from you. You are in a takeaway mode. Its goal is not really to bring to you anything of good news, of righteousness, of, of glory and truth, but rather to take what you have. That's the nature of the adversary. He comes to take. That is the way John put it in John chapter 10, verse 10. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if um, if you are one who has ex- been exposed to heretical um, teachings and heretical doctrines and therefore heretical practices on the part of men and women and churches and societies and groups, uh, and you haven't really worked through what that feels like, well, just ask Eve. She knows. She knows. She knows what it's like for the adversary through his diabolical proposition to take what God had given to her um, at her permission. Unfortunately, something we're going to be working through in our Wednesday theology class with our women as we're dealing with the topic this semester, the Trinity and me. Um, and just so rich. You know, I can tell you something. If you're not pursuing God in his word and really committed to growing in God's word, you, 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 you lose what you, you, you don't use. Be sure of that. 
You lose what you don't use. I've said that for years. You guys know that I've said it for years, that if we're not pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, we are gradually regressing and retreating. And to the degree that we digress uh, and retreat, we lose what we have. You can wake up one day and realize that you can't even remember what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 said. Or... Let me ask you another question in in regards to that as we begin to build our program foundationally is, can you quote the Ten Commandments by heart? I know that seems so mundane, but in reality, there's a vast group of Christians out there that can't. And, And yet they would be so proud to tell you how strong they are in the Lord. And in the power of his might, but they cannot they cannot articulate the fundamentals, the fundamentals of uh, uh, of the decree of God in relationship to his his creatures. And this is an eternal decree. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. So if you say, yes, I do. I love him. I love him. And then then, then give me the Ten Commandments. Tell me what he says you are not to do. Tell me what he says that you are to do. And I'm just I'm just kind of stating that what happens is, is that we have this precious thing called time. And uh, within the framework of time, we find ourselves being negligent to actually manage our time in a way that uh, is productive for our soul. Now, guess who did that? The adversary. That's right. He he distracted you. So what we're going to learn this Wednesday, again, distracted you from prioritizing your time in a way that you advance in your relationship with God. Remember what uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, it is high time that you awake out of sleep. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Be circumspect for the days are evil. The goal of evil days is to take away from you your inheritance, your lot, your portion in God. And this is where so many Christians are so weak and defeat and unable to stand against the wiles of the devil and certainly not um, able to actually stand for the uh, for the sound doctrines of Scripture. So uh, two, three lines open, one 367 Just again, glad to be with you. Glad to be with you. I've got a question I'm going to pose as a thought for these two hours. Stay with me so that you can learn some things um, or be affirmed in things you already know. I get a question from time to time by a sincere believer or even just a non-believer who is really wondering about this thing called forgiveness. And it will be um, the conversation that we will be having this Sunday as we deal with the honor of forgiveness, honoring God, forgiving us the mechanism of forgiveness by which we can have a relationship with him. Think about it. Think about the infinite, almighty, all wise, omnipotent God, omnipresent God, immutable, unchangeable God and his the superlative nature of God who does not have to continue learning he knows all things at once. This is the infinitude of his his consciousness, his, his wisdom and knowledge. And he has deemed that you and I can only have a relationship with him within the framework of forgiveness. Do you understand what that means, right? You do understand that if God has to forgive you in order to have a relationship with you, you're jacked up. Did you know that? Uh, think about this. The holy God has to forgive sinners in order to have a relationship with them. 
And I think if you understand what I'm saying intuitively, you agree. And, and right there, you should be shouting and, and, and rejoicing and thanking God for the forgiveness of sins, which is fundamental to the security of a relationship between us and God, as I stated. And if that's the case, you want to keep your ear um, listening to this program over the next hour as I talk through some fundamentals about biblical, Christocentric, cross-centered, gospel-centered forgiveness, because there is a lot of forgiveness out there that has nothing to do with God's glory or your salvation, by the way. So I'm going to deal with seven or eight points around why it is that we must ask God for forgiveness. Here's the fundamental classical question. If God has already forgiven us, why are we asking for forgiveness? Well, that's what we want to talk about for sure. But before I go to the break, I want to share with you a word from Mr. J.C. Ryle. I thought this was so apropos. Listen to this word. And again, I've got three lines open. If you got questions or comments and want to just talk while we have breath in our lungs and uh, gray matter that allows us to think things through and maybe challenges in life that we need to address. I'm more than glad to talk with you on them. One triple eight three six seven five three two. And I'd love to hear from some new people today. New people. One triple eight three six seven five three two. Now, don't mind you old people calling, but. Really, new people want to hear from some newer people from time to time? Okay, you guys who are listening for a while but have never called and you know you've got questions or are some challenges that you need to really um, address, let's talk about it, all right? You got a pastor here who's been pastoring for a long time and counseling for a long time too and would love to actually chat with you. Think about this now while you are calling one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Mr. Riles Uh, making reference to two people engaging in a conversation. I want you to hear this now. Man, man, said a thoughtless, ungodly English traveler to a North American Indian convert. Man, what is the reason that you make so much of Jesus Christ and talk so much about him? What has this Christ done for you that you should make so much ado about him? The converted Indian did not answer him in words. Rather, he gathered together some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm worm, and put it in the middle of the ring. He struck a light and set the moss and leaves on fire. The flame soon rose and the heat scorched the worm. It writhed in agony, and after trying in vain to escape on every side, curled itself up in the middle as if to die in despair. At that moment, the Indian reached forth his hand, took up the worm gently, placed it on his bosom, and said, Stranger, as he spoke to the Englishman, do you see that worm? I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sins, hopeless, helpless, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who put forth the arm of his power. It was Jesus Christ who delivered me with the hand of his grace and plucked me from the everlasting burning. It was Jesus Christ who placed me a poor, sinful worm near the heart of his love. Stranger, said the, the, the American Indian. That is the reason why I talk of Jesus Christ and make much of him. I am not ashamed of it because I love him. 
You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan, ready to get at it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm ready to get at it, ready to talk to you about eternal truths, eternal verities, but also to answer your question. I've got two lines open, one 888 Love to hear from some of those of you who are longtime listeners but never have called. Let's keep this thing fresh. Going to take a break. When I come back, we'll take your phone calls, and we'll keep talking through the Bible on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Kind of like a fifth quarter. Right. Fifth quarter after yesterday's worship and fellowship with the true and the living God. Let's have a little afterglow. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. Okay, we're back. The time is 521 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open. one 367 367 Encouraging you new listeners and longtime listeners never call to come on the line and chat with us today. If you have a question or observation about what's going on in your world, in the world of God things, I'd be glad to actually engage you in some conversation around it. I said before the break that, by the way, did you enjoy that article? Native American brother in Christ sharing with a, a, a presumptuous Englishman who obviously has never come to know in reality um, his his spiritual condition and therefore cannot see why true believers really do make much of Jesus. And by the way, if that article meant something to you by way of that Indian sharing the analogy of putting that worm in the midst of the fire and then snatching him out, putting him in his bosom as an example of what Christ has done for us, um, it also is an indicator when you meet people who don't make much of Jesus— but will make much of their religion or make much of their good works or make much of themselves, you know then that you're dealing with error as well. Because God has given Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, that he might be the preeminent one, and so he should be preeminent in your thoughts. He should be preeminent in our in my thoughts. He should be preeminent in your life. And here's the reason why. No man has seen God at any time. Only he who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath revealed him. The monogamous, Jesus being the only unique one of the Father, bearing the same nature as, as God as the Father does, and revealing the invisible God in the fullness of who he is. We're learning that in WTC. He is the expression of the invisible God, and no one can know the Father except through the Son, and no one can know the Son except by the power of the Spirit. And this is why we make much of Jesus, because he is the bridge between us and God. So now, talking about this question of forgiveness, again, two lines open, one 888 before we go to the phone lines. Why ask for forgiveness if we've already been forgiven? Have you ever heard that question? I'm sure you have. You've been in uh, in, in church any time or been around religious folk any time or even sincere people. Why would it be that some of us would hold to a biblical view that asking God for forgiveness <clears throat> frequently, albeit sincerely, is not only a good thing, but it's actually mandated of Scripture. God mandates you to um to to seek forgiveness from him when you sin and seek forgiveness from him as a tenor of how much you respect honor and love God and desire to sustain a healthy relationship with him um so for those of you who have bought into a sort of stayed what 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 I would call sort of a a a stated position of uh positional forgiveness that comes with the death of Christ on the cross 2000 years ago cuz he only died once he paid for our sins once 
He redeemed his people from all iniquity once. But the impact of that death on the cross 2,000 years ago has efficacy perpetually. In other words, the blood of the God-man Jesus Christ is fresh perpetually. And this is what the Hebrew writer means when he says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near unto God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, simply because God has made a way to himself through the veil that is the flesh of Jesus Christ. Um, That fresh sacrifice of the Son of God remains so even after 2,000 years. Um, So when God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague of judgments that strike the nations will not strike you when I see the blood. What is the blood about? It is the grounds and premise for the forgiveness of sins. That's the passing over. We're going to more, more fully develop that. But if you recall what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, around verse 11, when he was teaching the disciples the framework for, for biblical prayer, he says, pray like this, pray in this manner. Now, he's He's not really telling you and I to get into this form prayer that most Christians do, which is a really, really, really dangerous thing. Well, you just kind of automatically start saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That there is dishonorable to God. That's precisely right. And, and yet that's what we do. We just run it off, run it off. And we think we're doing something. But do you know if you're calling that prayer rather than kind of recitation? It can, you can do it as a recitation. Like you can quote verses, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He guides me. He restores me. You can do all that when you know Bible verses. But don't call it talking to God because that's not talking to God. That's just religious. It's the matabata that Christ talked about in the Gospel of Matthews when he says the Pharisees, they use many words when speaking, vainly speaking the matabata, um, a form of rhetoric that sounds like they're really zealously pursuing God, but it's empty words, matabata, 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 matabata. And it may be impressive to you and me, but what God knows is, is that there's no heart in it and there's no thought in it. And it's not deliberate relative to the real issue at hand. And prayer is always sincere conversation with the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And so what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and 11, when you pray, pray it this way. Our Father who art in heaven, you are the Holy One. Your name is hallowed. Oh, whole rich subject on the name. Your name is hallowed. Hallowed be your name. And that is your reputation. That's your character. That's your presence. That's your power. That's your attributes. That's your fame. Your fame be reverenced as the high and holy and lofty one. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an acquiescence to the universal sovereignty of God and his absolute rule over everything. Every believer is to be yielding to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his his father, the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. That's our God and his Christ, as John puts it in the book of Revelation. Father, you are gloriously holy. And your kingdom is supreme over everything and especially me. And then from there, you are to acknowledge the daily needs of provisio, of provision, God's providence in your life. Give us this day our daily bread. And then it moves into that next stage, and that is what? Forgive us of our trespasses and sins and debts as we forgive others. Did Jesus mean for you to just say that one time and move on into your life, never, ever to utter it again? Or is Christ saying in the same way that God perpetually exists 
that his kingdom perpetually exists, that food and provision daily is a perpetual existence, that like we got to eat every day, then we have to acknowledge perpetually our brokenness and our violation of God's law before him, not as a basis of getting right with God, but as a basis of acknowledging this reality. Are you ready? You're a sinner. That's all. You're a sinner. You and I are sinners. It's a powerful thing that we're dealing with with the subject of forgiveness, and I definitely want to expand on it. There are seven propositions that I want to share around it that's very important. When we who are commanded, that's the first thing, to ask for forgiveness, do that, we are first affirming God's truth. See, only sinners ask for forgiveness. Only sinners ask for forgiveness. We are affirming the fact that the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not run. Now, what does that mean? None. Does that include you? Yes, you are a none, as am I. But not only are we affirming God's truth that we are all sinners, as the Apostle Paul made it very plain, he said it. He says, I am the chief of sinners, not was, am. That's after his conversion, that's after his work of grace, that's after his apostleship, that's after his conversion of his establishing churches all over Asia Minor. The great apostle called himself a sinner still, where we contend with some of our brethren who would make the assumption that after being converted and after being saved, you're not a sinner. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you're not a sinner anymore, then Jesus is the Maytag man because he's the one in glory mediating on your behalf. What is he mediating for? Your jacked up life, the errors that you make, the mistakes that you make. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Glorious, isn't it? The second thing is that not only does it affirm God's truth, but it affirms that we as believers are still, in fact, sinners. Remember what First John chapter 1, verse 6, 7, 8, 9 says, If anyone says that he has no sin, he's a liar. The truth is not in him. If anyone says that he has not sinned, he does not know God. He's still walking in darkness. John was dealing with that Gnostic notion that somehow we could be so pure and righteous in ourselves that the only thing that's really uh, aberrant and sinning is our bodies, but we disassociate ourselves with our bodies and call ourselves saints and not sinners as if somehow the body is not under redemption as well. And in reality, that's really what's going on here with you and I. We're in a process of glorification, and it's called sanctification. God sanctifying us. But when he, when he does bring us into that state of sanctification, guess what he's doing? He's teaching us to tell the truth. Remember what David said in Psalm 51, verse 6? You desire truth from the inward part, and from the hidden part, you'll make me to see Jesus. That is wisdom. This is what we're talking about here. But I'm going to share another thing with you before I uh, go to a break. Then I'll come back. I'll talk with you, Rodney. I've got three lines open, one 888 Three six seven five three two nine. as we uh, kind of open up talking about forgiveness. We'll deal with it on a vertical level. We'll deal with it on a horizontal level. But be sure of this. Don't you um, affront the God that loved you enough to, gave his son, to give his son for your sins. Don't you affront God and uh, not acknowledge your rebel ways. Don't, don't do that. That's what David thought he could do. According to the Psalms, he says, when I kept silent. See what I'm saying? When I kept silent. Because God is holy. And uh, the areas he's dealing with in our lives is conformity to Christ and conformity to his word. And, and he's not going to let you just live like, you know, fools and, and walk in darkness and not check you. The goal of the Holy Ghost is to check you. 
He might be doing it even now. Three lines open, one 329 I've got five other um, sort of uh, implications and, 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 and propositions that fall out of the biblical mandate to, uh, to seek forgiveness from God, and I'm sure you're going to want to know them. one 329 We'll get at those when we come back uh, on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. Three lines open, one 329 Give me a call. Let's talk. Let's go to line two and talk with Rodney. Rodney, are you there? Yes, I am. How you doing, Pastor? I'm good. What's going on with you? What's your thoughts? Um, my thought is that um, the forgiveness mode that you were talking about, uh, I think, Paul, in one of his scriptures, he said he dies daily. And in other scriptures, he says, Jesus or somebody says, every day is a new adventure. Um, there are certain things that we have that we see that we know, like, you know, sicknesses and diseases that are on us that we know that we have. But then there's things that attach themselves to us that we don't know we have. And so my experience is like, you know, like, like, oh, like a shit. Like we talk about salvation, you know, like, in other words, uh, my take on it is like it's like if you're on the Titanic and that ship is sinking and they throw you a, a life preserver and you're floating, you're saved, but you're still in the water. Mm-hmm. You're not delivered. There's mm-hmm. a difference between saving. So while you're in this situation, in this world, these things come and they attach themselves to you. So daily we have to pray forgiveness so they don't consume us and daily you know, overtake us, feed on us, and uh, make us their lunch. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, Did you learn that by experience, recognizing that God means business when it comes to a relationship with him versus, uh, you know, just 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 taking a tag? You know, I I went to church, prayed the sinner's prayer, got my got my receipt. It's in my back pocket. And now I'm I'm good for glory. Um, Did you learn? uh, Did you learn, Rodney, as I'm uh, assuming that when we um, when we when we pledge our allegiance to Jesus by the grace of God, he really does mean for us to um, to cleave close to him and walk with him and seek his strength daily to um, to deal with these battles that we face. Definitely. It's through my experiences. I'm telling you, it's only by his grace, by his grace and his mercy, you know, based on my history and what I've done to my own self. Mm hmm. That I'm a, even talking to you. Right. It's only by His grace, and even now, it's like I still, like I'm saying, uh, I thank God for you. I tell you that every time I see you. But at the same time, one thing is lip service, another thing is hip service, putting it in motion. So yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. and, and I'm, you know, like I said, I'm confessing my faults one too because it's like the time that I spend away from that ministry because I've been around the ministry. But I'm, I told you when I first met you, it's the word. So all the ministries they got this singer and they got this music, but it ain't about that. Right. I mean, the the word is what's going to keep you. That's right. And like I said, and the, and see, the enemy, he comes, he don't come all wretched. He comes pretty. He comes slick. He comes with a B. He comes, believe me, I'm, he's still trying me. Right. Every day. Right. He, I mean, he, he's cunning. He's very, he's a deceiver. He ain't obvious. And see, that's when he wants you to think, no, I mean, that it is you. It might be a little kid. I don't know what it is. But at the same time, it really is us because when you realize it, all he can do is tempt us. That's what right. he can do is tempt us. That's right. But if we don't, he, he, you know, all he can do is he can wave the apple. And we don't have to bite that. That's if right. If we choose to bite it, then that's on us. That's true. You know, but but he may, he, if you realize, and, and with Christ, he has no power over us. Without Christ, you're toast. 
Right. So here's the question that I'm going to ask before I let you go, because this is just this is academic to the topic of forgiveness, which people don't explore much at all. It's sad, but it it really is true. What I'm getting at, you guys, and I'd love to hear from you on it. I know you struggle with forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is meant to be a struggle. I'm going to see if I can lay this out in a little bit more of a formative fashion. It's meant to be a struggle because all relationship is struggle. All relationship is struggle. Um, think about it, you guys. Think about it. If God, who is all wise and knows everything, has deemed that the only way he could have a relationship with you is to establish a mechanism called forgiveness, then that means something on his part, and it means something on our part. It means between now and glory, when it will all be made new, God has purposed to see to it that your struggle has an exit strategy to sustain the relationship with him. And it's called the forgiveness of sins. In other words, listen to me. Now I want to hear from you. Do you understand that the infinite, almighty, omniscient God has no other option but to forgive you if he's going to have a relationship with you while as yet you are still broken. Do you understand that? And if you do, what are the implications of forgiveness relative to the love of God and how it should impact your life? If daily I come to discover, God, you're right. You're you're right. (laughs) You're right. I'm a mess. Um, And I'm so thankful that all I have to do is acknowledge that mess and then strive by your grace, waiting on you to help me. That's what David said in Psalm 40. This poor man cried. I waited patiently on the Lord. He delivered me right. from all my troubles. He delivered me from all my troubles. He delivered me from all my troubles. He did deliver me. He doth deliver me, and he will deliver me. See, what I'm actually doing is, and see, not going to get a lot of calls on this because people don't really want to be authentic about what relationship is about. All relationship, Rodney, is a struggle. Yes, sir. All relationship is a struggle. <laughs> Even your relationship with God is a struggle. People don't want to admit it. They don't want to they don't want to admit that it's a struggle. And so, you know, this idea of forgiveness is a really really difficult concept unless you are convinced that this is the only way God can have a relationship with me is to be able to forgive me 70 times 70 times 70 times 70 times 70 and it doesn't mean that I don't want to do what's right. I do. I do right. want to do what's right. I do want to do what's right, but sometimes I don't. And where I don't, I'm not going to dishonor God by acting like I didn't when he's made a provisio for me to actually have an escape from that. And that's the forgiveness of sins. This is a glorious God who has chosen to exist among and with broken people who are hobbling their way to glory uh, and definitely messing up. And he's still engaging you as sons and daughters of God on the premise of a once for all sacrifice on the part of his son. And he's just simply saying to you and I acknowledge it, acknowledge your transgressions and your sins. As Proverbs 28, 13 says, whosoever confesses his sins shall prosper. He that hides his sin shall not prosper. That's our lesson for today. How does God deal with me 
in my brokenness. Well, he forgives me 70 times, 70 times, 70 times. Why? Because he wants a relationship with me. Why? Because he loves me enough to know that I can't make it without forgiveness. Can't do it, brother. Can't do it. And by the way, Rodney, you still there? Yes. Yes. This is true for every one of us. This is true for every one of us. We we would never be able to tolerate each other until Jesus comes. If we didn't Amen. operate out of the principle of the forgiveness, of sin. it wouldn't happen. Yes, wouldn't happen, brother. Yes. Wouldn't happen. Forgiveness you know, is the forgiveness is the it's the pinnacle on a foundation of truths. I'm going to talk about after the break. In other words, God didn't just forgive you. He had to do two other things to make sure forgiveness was available to you without him marring his holiness. I'm going to talk about that after the break. Thanks for the call. I'm going to take a break now. Two lines open. In fact, three one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Forgive them over and 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 over again until they get it. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. So did you guys get what I was saying earlier as I was talking with Rodney about why an infinite, omnipotent, almighty, uh, immutable, unchangeable God, all wise God, uh, deemed that the only way that he could have a relationship with you and I in this present condition and state that we're in, because we're still what? We're still what? Is that he actually has a mechanism called forgiveness. And I really do want you to think that through. I actually want you to understand that forgiveness is just an ingenious mechanism on God's part for a holy God who can't tolerate sin to actually still engage sinners at a level of fellowship and communion and blessing the blessings that come to us from God that are sustained and unchangeable and permanent and continuous, sometimes contingent, but certainly uh, achieving their goal, and that is to bring us into a state of glory are all predicated upon this mechanism. In other words, forgiveness secures the relationship. Did you get that? Forgiveness. If if you got that, say amen. Forgiveness secures the relationship. Here's what he's here's what I'm saying. <clears throat> We're first commanded to 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 ask for forgiveness because it affirms God's truth of what we are. Don't deny the truth. You're a sinner saved by grace. You are simultaneously righteous and what? You got it. This is why we stated it yesterday. Luther made it very vivid, didn't he? You are snow-covered dung. That's right. You look good on the outside because God has covered your sins. You look good from the standpoint of his grace and your mercy in your life because he has covered our sins. That's what David was rejoicing in. That's what we're going to learn on Sunday. Believers are covered. Covered. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. Isn't that what God says? So God has loved us enough to cover us. Um, but we're still sinners. In the presence of God who sees the darkness and the light. But it's, the, it's designed to secure a, a relationship with God. It, it's designed to secure a fellowship with God. Think about this, child of God. Think about this with me for a moment. You mess up. You know, how you go, you go along for a good little while and you're thinking you're doing okay. And, and, and you know, in, in some ways we may be. <laughs> in some ways we may be doing all right. I mean, you know, we might be. But, I mean, to be honest with you, we cut the lights on. Uh-uh. 
But I mean, in some ways on a human level, we may be doing all right. I, I do not agree with my theological brethren who would assert that once we're saved, we cannot, we can actually not sin. I'm sorry. I, the new nature doesn't sin. The old nature always sins. If sin means coming short of the mark, missing the mark, uh, then I have never, ever done any right thing in my life apart from the new nature, uh, which First John chapter 3, verse 9 says, he that has his seed in him cannot continue the practice of sin because he's born of God. I get that. I hate my sin. And that's righteous. Do you? I hate it. I'm with Paul. I hate it. <laughs> Uh, the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I do not do, I hate it. That's the new man, hating it, for real, authentically hating it. That's what David says. I abhor myself. Job said it, I abhor myself. That's righteous. That's righteousness. Now, um, God then, in his mercy, sustains a relationship with us by a mechanism called forgiveness, and it's a rhythm of romance. You know that. He hunts us down when we act a fool. He exposes our darkness. And then he tells us, say it, say it. You know, that's, 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 you desire truth from the inward part. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because he's securing fellowship with us. That's what first John chapter one, five, six, seven is saying. Truly our fellowship is with the father and with his what? Say it, son. No fellowship with the father apart from the son. Why the son? He is the means of forgiveness. He secures the relationship. He provides the atonement. He provides the blood. It's ever there for us to sustain a walk with God. It's like the children of Israel in the Old Testament, the temple being a type of Christ. They go to the temple and they see immediately all the artifacts, the burnt altar, the labor for washing, the altar of incense. They saw that. They saw the curtain. They saw the holy place. They saw the table of showbread. They saw the veil between uh, them and the holy of holies. They saw all that as a type of Jesus Christ. In other words, they were constantly confronted with the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, that the only way you can draw nigh to God is through the blood. You guys getting this? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. God has secured fellowship with us, with us as we acknowledge. That's what David said in Psalm 32. This all the godly shall declare in a time when God may be found. I'm a transgressor, Lord. I'm a transgressor against your Lord. It also honors the cross and its unchanging efficacy. You call yourself walking around not acknowledging your sin and transgression, then you are belittling the cross. There were seven sayings that our master uttered on the cross. Remember what the first one was? Father, forgive them. Isn't that amazing? Father, forgive them. They're jacked up. See what I'm getting at? See what I'm getting at? Here's another one. Not only does it affirm God's truth, not only is it an affirmation that we are sinners still, not only does it secure fellowship with God, it honors the cross and its unchanging efficacy. What? can wash away my sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? That's the Hebrew writer plainly lays that out for us. But here's another one I'm going to state before we go to our phone call and then finally to the break. It secures this prosperity of the believer with God. I want you to get this. The forgiveness of sins secures the prosperity of the believer with God. I, I, please hear me. going to unpack this this Sunday as we deal with Psalm 32. 
your, the blessings of God in your life are definitely contingent upon you acknowledging this relationship of a perpetual forgiveness on your part because of a perpetual atonement established once for all in Christ because... Uh, you will find that to the degree that you are negligent to acknowledge your waywardness, God will not let you prosper. I quoted it earlier with Rodney, Proverbs chapter 28, 13. Look it up. Whosoever covereth his sins shall not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. A lot of believers are not prospering in their soul, prospering in their heart, prospering in their mind, prospering in their walk because they are operating in a negligence of acknowledging their rebellion and disobedience to God. They're walking in an overt, high-handed rebellion, calling themselves just graced up. And you're not graced up. You're toe up. You know that. Um, Grace is designed to actually cause us to prosper because not only does grace take away our sin, but it imparts the power of his righteousness by the spirit of God to help us move in obedience. And wherever there's obedience, there's fruitfulness. And this is what God demands in John 15, right? Verse eight here. And are, are, is it evident that you are my disciples when you bring forth much fruit for in bringing forth much fruit, you please God. Does this help? We got three more. We got three more. I really do want to continue pressing in. Let me share something with you phenomenal about this as well. And we're going to be dealing with this one for maybe a couple of weeks in our church on Sunday, the honor of the forgiveness of sins for the believer. But let me go to line number um, line number one right quick and talk with Deb uh, on line number one. Deb, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. What's your question or observation today? I, I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace, but not my grace, his grace. Jesse, I re- people say all the time that I have a good communication skill. I do not. People always are misunderstanding me, or I'm misunderstanding them, and I think that's my sin, not theirs. And I, um, hmm. uh, that's no. interesting. I think that's mutual. Let's let's talk about that for just a bit. Okay. So yeah. So now, if somebody tells you that you actually have good communication skills, um, you can't actually take that away from them. I mean, that's like you know, that their perception is their perception. Yeah. Um. And I, I think I would agree with them. However, I do know that there is this kind of gray area of sub-narrative dialogue that we have with one another that actually creates confusion around intents and motives. Um, and therefore, what we said might be clear on a um, propositional level, but just not clear on a, a motive level or an intention level, particularly if, if the person that you are talking with is not understanding your motive. In other words, I think that we um, I think we can understand each other better uh, when we know each other better. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Right. So so I mean that like if I didn't know anything about you, I could probably say that I would be more inclined to misunderstand you in something that you said if we had a lengthy conversation, I would be going, "What does she mean by that? What does she mean by that? What does she mean by that?" And in that sense, I would be unclear of the underlying motive or premise for the things that you state. And maybe that's what's going on with people. Maybe they don't. So, so it's one thing for people to hear us because I, I get it. I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly aware of people not getting me just as I'm constantly aware of people getting me. I, I get this all the time. Pastor, you're crystal clear. 
And then, Pastor, you don't make any sense to me at all. Okay, all right. So I think that what we are talking about is if a person doesn't understand you, they won't think that you are clear. Does that make sense? Well, they they tell me they think I'm lying or deceiving, which I'm not in. That is not what my intent is at all. Okay, so there you go. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. So let's say... Yeah, this this one here is a little bit complex, but this is great. And and I think that since you already know that I've been treating the subject today of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, that the only real solution to that kind of quagmire is forgiveness, right? Yeah. Right. So let's back up for a moment and just talk a little bit about conversation because communication can get um, it can get complex. It can get complicated and can be confusing. And where that is happening um, to Entities have the uh, uncanny ability to create a fence there. Um, when I don't understand you, either my flesh will rise up out of my pride, impatience, presumption, or the devil will enter in through my flesh out of pride, presumption, assuming that I know something that I don't. And then I will assign to you a motive that I have absolutely no sphere of influence to credibly affirm. This is exactly what Christ said in Matthew chapter 7 relative to judge not lest you be judged. In other words, what Christ was saying is you have to actually really judge righteous judgment. That's chapter 7. you got to really know people well enough to know their motive. And if you don't know them, you just kind of, you know, ad hoc um, say, oh, you're you're being deceptive, you're being manipulative, you're being this, that, or the other, then yeah, that that's going to be the grounds for offense. That's going to be the ground for misunderstanding. It's going to be the ground for arguments and debates and carnality and, and separation. That's It's called the scandal. And is that something that you have just recently faced? Well, I, I seem to face it all. You know, I'm really discouraged, Jesse, personally, because I seem to face it a lot with a lot of people, and I don't know what to do. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, I don't really know what to do because I I really need uh, someone to stay on the phone with me or come by and, and deal with that issue with me mm-hmm. on a one-to-one basis because I really feel, I really feel condemned. Yeah. Because I don't really intend that. Right. But I know I'm not, I'm not really um, doing all that I could be doing, and maybe I'm missing something that uh, a a, um, seasoned man of God or woman of God could help me with. I agree. And I have never met your wife, so I don't know if she could help me or if you could help me, but I know you're already busy with your congregation, so... And the world. And eight kids. And eight grandkids. And and a lot of stuff. However, this is what I will say. This is a great opportunity um, for two things. You know, Tuesday night we always pray, and you always seem to come up in Tuesday night prayer anyway. So we're going to bring that one up. You definitely do need some counsel. So we're going to try to see if we can prioritize that. Because I I agree with you. This would be true for me or anyone else, Deb. And and this is such a great call. And I will take phone calls, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to advance on the topic that Deb is talking about, because it really does tie into the subject of forgiveness. And that is, how is it that we end up having conflict with people so frequently and so continuously? Um, and we don't really mean to. It just ends up that way. S- something is wrong, and I need to be able to get at it. And sometimes it really does take a third party to do that. So we are going to press into that as a solution. And I'll I'll be getting back with you on that. 
because that's right. you're absolutely right. It has to be done because you want to cover the bases on your part. You really do want to cover the bases on your part. And sometimes you need a third party to help maybe kind of um, I, I'm not going to even begin to get into it because um, it would take so long. But you're right. I think that if I am hitting this wall all the time. There very well may be something in me, but you actually got to have the uh, have a healthy counselor because, you know, you just don't want to judge. You want somebody that can help you do. All right. So we're praying that through and wait on it because it will happen. Got to take a break. Thanks for the call. All lines open. Nope. Three lines open. Nope. Two lines open. (laughs) One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Very good, Deb. We'll be right back. 